This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Welcome to the Accounting Influencers Podcast, where we give you the news and all things relevant to help accounting practitioners throughout the world raise their game, upskill, and build the commercial acumen they need to serve their clients. And coming up in this week's show, we kick off with the news. And in the news, we look at how accounting firms thrive in a competitive market. Now, this is according to Steve Cox, who is the head of market insights at Iris and has been there for the last 19 years. If anyone knows, he knows. And we interview Richard Hattersley from Accounting Web, and we're looking at one of his pet subjects, mental well-being for accountants. He's got a lot to say on this topic. And in these tough times, mental resilience, mental wellness is at a premium. You're going to get some great insights there. And here's what works. We look at what works with accountants and client surveys. Here's a hint, they don't work. And in our final interview, we do Randy Crabtree, host of the Unique CPA podcast. It's been going for many, many years. He's ran his own firm. He's got a lot to say on what makes the good accounting firms great and the good accountants amazing. So thanks for tuning in. There is lots to listen to and helping with your CPE on this week's show. And thank you to our special sponsors, Iris Software. Martin, you saw a great video just recently from Iris, didn't you? Yeah, what I think people don't understand about Iris is they were ahead of the game for MTD phase one because they were the first software vendor to be listed as approved by the HMRC for MTD filing. And guess what? They're fully prepared for the next. So they've got an MTD webinar on demand that you can catch up with at any time. Rob, where did they go to to see this? It's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. That stands for making tax digital for our international listeners. And there's some great stuff there that you need to know to guide you through the whole Making Tax Digital initiative. So iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. Right, Martin? That's right. So wherever you are in your journey, Iris know that they have the knowledge and tools to help you in the next steps. That's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. It's time for the news where we cast our eye over what is happening in the accounting fintech world and not just report on it, but give you some analysis and tell you practitioners what it means for you, what you need to do and think differently. Martin, you're always casting your eye over what's going on. What's caught your eye this week? Well, we're nothing if not balanced here at Accounting Influencers Podcast. We've noticed that our last few news items have been wake up, wake up, wake up style messaging, you know, which could be construed as negative. Or, or cynical or critical. So in an attempt to readjust that balance, we're going to talk some good news today. No bad news, some good news. We came across something in the International Accounting Bulletin, which typically serves uh, networks, associations, and, and members therein. And there was a piece there by Steve Cox, Head of Market Insights. Good friend of the show. Yeah, very good friend of the show. And in fact, has one of the uh, highest rated uh, interview episodes that we've ever done. And he had a piece called how firms can thrive in today's competitive market. Now, for those cynical listeners out there who might be thinking what I'm thinking, oh, for another show, how much is he paying you to do this? So just to be clear, we've picked this up without his say-so. He does not know we're reporting on this. This is an independent piece. But we thought the article was interesting. So it's called How Thrives Can Th- Sorry, How Firms Can Thrive in Today's Competitive Market. And so basically, he makes the point that a new breed of accountancy practices are flourishing in post-pandemic conditions. Okay, now that's different to what you've been hearing from us previously, hasn't it? So balance again. But they are making life hard for traditional firms. And over the last 12 months in the UK, almost 9,000 new practices emerged 
each of which is vying for market share. So that's a UK figure. So imagine how many new firms have been formed in the US over the last 12 months, in Australia, in Central Europe, in the Middle East, and everywhere else where the Accounting Influencers podcast is listened to. So we're talking here, Martin, not about the incorporation of new businesses. We talked about the insolvency tsunami, haven't we, and how businesses mm. have fallen by the wayside, but more and more are starting up and seeing opportunities. This is the start of accounting firms, entities, starting from scratch. Maybe the great resignation is taking people out of accounting firms. They're starting up themselves. They want to do it a different way. So the sector itself is growing. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's the great resignation or the great reinvention. Yes. Because you know these firms are perhaps newly, newly qualified. These firms are perhaps not at all qualified and perhaps are software certified professionals. Maybe they are professionals who have spun out of other merger and acquisition activity. Their non-compete has ended. They don't want to stay under a corporate brand. So they've gone back to being their own boss. But no matter which one it is, there's 9,000 of them here in the UK alone. Mm. So in Steve's article, he talks about competitive pressure. And he says, if competitive pressure is keeping you, the listener, awake at night, he suggests there are three things you can do to improve your situation. His first one is a move towards a cloud-first offering. And he explains it this way. He says, this might actually be simpler than you think. Speak to your existing software partner, whether that's Sage or Zero or Iris or whoever, and see what they are offering that can help you modernize your services. The chances are your supplier will already have a strategy mapped out that can make your transition smooth and painless. So number one, guys, that Steve's suggesting, move towards a cloud-first offering. If you are already a cloud-first offering, then perhaps take a look at your prices because if your new clients are accepting your prices without too much haggling, they're not high enough. And Martin, just a quick word on that. Many accountants, progressive accountants listening, will be way ahead of that and say, look, we've been cloud for a long time now, but we still know that many, many practitioners, CPAs, they're still with spreadsheets. They're still in old-style paper-type recording. They've not hit the cloud yet, and there's a lot of laggards in the accounting world, aren't there? This show at the time of recording has over 20,000 unique listeners, Robert. I'm going to guess, based on traditional percentages and ratios, mm. that less than 10% of them are already cloud-first. Yeah. So, so if accounting firms are starting up, they're probably going to be the early adopters, the younger tech people that will start with a cloud offering right out of the gate. Yeah. Uh, to use one of your phrases, first mover advantage. Yes. In fact. So Steve's second point of three was to achieve organic growth through automation. Now, this should be music to everybody's ears because most practitioners listening will be f fully aware of organic growth as the way that they've built their firms to this point. But through automation now, and Steve says that in the face of fierce competition, Many accountants are working on sustainably long hours, does that sound like you, to meet their clients' expectations on price and service levels. Sound familiar? This needn't be the case, he contends. With the right software solutions, many time-consuming tasks can be automated, freeing up your resources to develop higher-value services, win new business, and strike a healthier work-life balance. Now, on this show, we've often advocated the selling, not sacking, the selling of your lowest profitability clients in order to free up capacity for something that raises your average fee and gross profitability. It's just commercial sense to do so. It's interesting that we've got independent verification for that in this article here. Which brings us to his third and final point. And this is one that you'll not be surprised to hear. Broaden services and grow your client list via inorganic 
growth? What's inorganic? In, yeah, inorganic. What's inorganic? I ask the same question. This is, unfortunately, there are many practices out there struggling to stay afloat. However, even ailing practices will have plenty to offer. That sentence again, even ailing practices will have plenty to offer. Mergers and acquisitions can present mutually beneficial opportunities to extend service offerings, pool talent, and grow client lists. Now, I'm going to speak for Steve here and read between the lines. For me, he's saying that if you are not able to get your technology house in order, if you're not able to get your, um, let's call it sales or marketing house in order, if you're not able to get your pricing house in order, if you're not able to get your talent house in order, merge and become part of someone who can, as that increases the opportunities and the resources you've got to make those improvements. And the message here, Martin, as Steve alludes to at the end of his article, is uh, with things like making tax digital and other reformations looming, it's time to gird your loins, as the Bible would say, but review your systems, review your practices, review your software, and take stock. Are you set up now that that old phrase, what got you here, won't get you there? these new firms coming up are going to have first mover advantage. They're going to be starting digitally. They're already accelerating at a faster pace than established firms. So they need to review and get the house in order, as you say. Yeah. I think too many managing partners that I've met personally, when they get to 50, stop thinking about the practice and start thinking about their exits yes. and start protecting the pot of money that they've accumulated as opposed to reinvesting for the future. And that's up to them. That's their prerogative. It's their firm. But if they are planning at all, to have their next generation take over and it be some sort of uh, MBO and it'd be some sort of passing it down to passing the torch to the next gen, then to be frank, you're screwing the next gen by giving them a practice that is not fit for purpose. And so you th your thoughts should be towards how do we make this firm attractive, not only to other firms that may buy it in the future, but to our clients. What do our clients want from us? What are they prepared to pay? What skill set do we need? These are the questions that an engaged partner will be asking themselves and their fellow partners right now. Make your firm attractive to your potential employees. Otherwise, they will go off and they'll start their own firm. They'll do their own thing and they'll take clients off you. And that's not what we want here. That is the news. Thank you for listening. Go do something about it and stay ahead of the curve. Improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Really fly. The Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Welcome to today's special interview. I've got Richard Hattersley with me from Accounting Web. Richard, it's the second time we've had you on the show, so you must have done something right. Welcome back. Well, thank you again for having me, Rob. Um, I, I thought I ruined it with the first time, but obviously it did okay. So thank you very much for welcoming me back in your house. Definitely not. You've been in this game a long time. And we talked last time about awards, that whole process of winning awards, the kudos, and patting ourselves on the back and celebrating our achievements as accounting firms and the vendors that serve them. And we demystified a lot of things for sure. Today, we're going to talk about another thing that you're really passionate about, which is mental health and well-being. And Tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be interested in this as a subject. I think as the, the editor of Accounting Web, I'm always looking for the latest trends, always looking at what the audience is going through, just why, just what makes them tick. And it was something which started coming up time and time again. And it's something which it, it was almost said with an apology. It, it was kind of sneaking out in conversations rather than being a central point. 
Um, and I think it's always been there. I think the, the issue has always been within the profession. The always on nature of the job is it feels like it's ingrained within accountancy. Presentism is probably uh, a big thing there at the large firms. Just the demand of clients on like a 24-hour basis. And I, I used to do this series on the counter web called Practice Talk. And I used to speak with uh, an accountants on a weekly basis. And I used to ask them, the aim of the of the article of the feature was just chatting out what a day what a day typical day looks like for an accountant and the first question I always asked was what's the first thing you do when you start your day and you never guess what it was roughly all of them said the first thing they did was check their emails and then as I finished the interview I'd ask okay so you finished today you go home how do you how do you finish your day I check my emails I think one person even said I'm checking emails up to the point my head hits the pillow and I think that's when I realized that there's, there's sort of a problem here this kind of this always on culture within the profession is spiraling out of control at that point and the word overwhelm comes to mind Richard I know you speak to a lot of accounting professionals and this this sense of anxiety of overload of overwhelm all the regulatory pressures all the compliance pressures staying up to date with CPD CPE the demands of clients as you're hinting and this does speak to well-being that has become such a big issue in the profession, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned there about the, the regulatory issues, um, compliance issues. We have accountants on Accounting Web who are, are feeling the strain, feeling the stress from the rise of digitalization, uh, the onslaught of never-ending compliance demands, the, the looming making tax digital rules, which are going to be coming over here in the UK soon, which is basically uh, tax digitalization um, for any non-UK uh, listeners. And all of this is creating a lot of stress, a lot of, um, there's that that feeling of, of gloom for, for a lot of firms, which maybe don't feel like they can cope with this sudden shift, this sudden, sudden change in what they thought the, the job was. Um, and I, I think the, the, the last two years have certainly not helped either with the, the never-ending stress of the pandemic. No, and I'm just thinking of the definition of stress, which they say is where your perceived resources are not enough to handle the perceived demands that are placed on you. And there is so much going on that accountants are feeling like they're not coping, and this manifests as stress which then is mental well-being and mental health. And, and maybe you've heard, as I have, that professional firms are now employing mental health first aiders. Have you come across that? Absolutely, yeah. Um, we spoke um, on the last time I was on this podcast, uh, Rob, about the Accounting Excellence Awards, and it's becoming a big trend there as well. We're seeing mental first, well-being first aiders just as part, of, as part of a firm, just part of what they do, and we... Uh, we are seeing that growing trend within the Accounting Excellence Awards. Of- and presumably they're dealing with a breakdown or an anxiety attack or something mental at work, an overload, not coping well with the situation. It's not a cut or a broken arm or a slip on a wet floor, is it? This is mental stuff. It is. And I think sometimes um, sometimes accountants can be silently dealing with this. It's something which they may not feel that they can discuss this openly. And perhaps it might be just part of the nature of the job where many, many accountants feel that it's just what's always been done before. So I may as well keep going. Those long hours of what, is, of what clients and what my what the partner of the firm expects of me. It might be even what the partner expects of themselves to go through those long hours and, and the client demands always being on for their clients. 
I think there is a lot of what's happening has been hidden away. There's a lot of silent struggling, I think, is what's happening here. We had a guest called Andy Zolkeld on the show a few months back, former Big Four accountant, talked about the stress he was going through and he couldn't tell anybody about it because it was a sign of weakness. It was, are you serious about your career? If you can't hack it or put in the hours, you don't get promoted, you don't get recognized. And he really struggled with that and ended up trying to take his own life. So your readers must be telling you all kinds of different stories. Oh, wow. Well, that story, um, kind of shocked at that story there, Rob. Uh, I must catch up on that podcast. The, the readers are saying similar things. Um, and it, it did start out, as I said before, as an off comment, but now it's becoming an actual focus point. They're actually talking quite openly. The pandemic has certainly brought this to the surface because I think so many people were feeling so isolated and they were all going through this shared trauma, it felt like. Everyone was going through the shared trauma. They had the same demands from their clients. They had the same personal issues, which everyone was going through. They were all kind of figuratively and literally kind of locked away. Everyone was in this same sort of boat. And I think that made many of our readers much more open. They were kind of looking for those shoulders to uh, to lean on. And so they, they found support within the accounting community. And I think the, the accounting community is an, an especially strong one, one which accountants do look out for each other. I think there is that, that sense of going through this shared experience together, which I've certainly seen within the accountancy profession. And with many people sharing their own experiences, I think that's sort of helped many accountants I've spoken with deal with the issues that they've gone through. So they may have realized that they haven't set any boundaries for clients. They've realized that they've been too open. They've realized that they've wilted to every demand the client may have. And I think speaking openly is really important because then accountants can see that there's others going through a similar situation and there are routes to help them manage what, what they're going through. And there's been a stigma traditionally, hasn't there, in saying that you can't cope or admitting to any kind of depression or stress or mental health problems. Why do you think that is? Hey, this is a really tough question. I think it goes to the, um, I, I'm not sure there's a right answer here, but I think it, it does go to the root of, of the actual job. The job itself is a tough one. I don't think we should forget that. It's a very demanding job. I've heard many stories of uh, accountants during during the tax season here in the UK, comforting clients who've had like that unexpected tax bill. So there's been that emotional strain, just natural emotional strain, just those small things, which um, I think many accountants take for granted, just part of the job. They're, they're really emotionally distressful things. But then on top of that, there's just um, keeping on top with the intense workloads and the complexity of the job. There's a real um, lack of room for error, I think, with the job. And those issues when you have to be so precise, where you have to ensure that what you're doing is correct, there's no room for error here. That is, that is an immensely stressful thing. There was a recent survey by the accounting charity over here for ICAW members, Carbon, and it said 79% uh, of the people, respondents to this particular survey, believes that stress and culture and poor mental health is just ingrained within the accounting profession. And then on top of that, 86% of respondents, this stat I felt was really difficult to um, take on board, but I think it goes to the root of the problem. 86% of respondents said that that employees were not utilised in employee-provided counselling or phone lines, or even, and then 46% said they weren't taking mental health days. So that says to me that many of these people 
just trooped on. They just thought they would just carry on because perhaps they thought their problem wasn't big enough or there's that stigma that still lingered over the profession, which is why they're not dealing with it. And so it's a difficult one. I'm not sure what the right answer is, but I think the job itself is one which kind of leads to stress. And I'm glad you brought up the emotional element to that because as trusted advisors, accountants have not just been the ones with the financial knowledge, but there have been therapists, psychiatrists, counsellors, that shoulder to cry on, as you mentioned, that that trusted friend in dealing with the emotional fallout of the pandemic with the business owner clients that they have. And and that's not something they were trained for, is it? No, no, absolutely not. When, when they sit down to do their to do their exams, whatever professional body they may be with, uh, I don't think there is that soft skills element of the exam. There's not that part which, which helps them deal with that stress, that that trauma and um, the, the emotional issues that go with dealing with a, a client which is going through a tough time or having to break the news to a client or having to deal with any error within your own team or having to deal with your, your, your direct uh, employees going through any stress. So perhaps there, there should be more. There should be more support there. Well, in insolvencies, businesses going bust, having to lay off workers, losing livelihoods, getting into debt, all that kind of stress for clients is then something for the accountant and the bookkeeper to pick up. Absolutely. We've seen that with the pandemic. Absolutely. There's, I've, I've raised this on, on Accounting Web throughout the, the last two years, the, the term, turmoil that their clients have gone through and the uh, the extent that they've gone through in order to support their, their clients. And working 24 hours a day through night and day to support clients for them to eventually collapse their businesses to collapse. They're, they're, they're gonna, it's going to be um, a hard pill to swallow, I think, that one. It's going to be difficult for these firms. What is the fallout of firms of getting mental health and mental well-being wrong for their people? It's a good question, Rob. I think um, getting it wrong, it means that you're not really... Um, your, your firm's not really working at the, the the full power that it should be. It means that not everyone is um, feeling happy in, in their workplace. And if, if your employees are happy, if you yourself are happy, that's naturally going to spread onto your clients and the way that you deal with, with those client relationships. But if these things are going unrecognized, if employees are not happy, it's, it's naturally going to spread onto that client relationship. It just makes sense for the business beyond, of course, the human element is more important than anything, but also for the strength of your firm as well. It's just to take notice of, of what your employees are going through. And the outlook for firms that don't take mental health and well-being seriously, lost revenues, maybe going out of business, losing competition, losing clients, losing credibility uh, in, with their reputation. Yeah, sure. And, and that, that recruitment issue as well. We, we've heard quite a lot about the recruitment crunch. And if you don't feel like your employer is taking you seriously, if you don't feel like they care about you as a person, then you're going to look across to that accountancy firm across the street, the one which does seem like they care about, about them. And you would feel like your skills would be more suited at that firm. And so I think it's really important to see that human element of your firm, the human element of your staff. And people that are looking to join a firm, they will ask, how do you look after your staff? <laughs> they will. What's your policy on zero overtime or flexible time or hybrid working? And they ask these things. These younger generation, particularly, they care about this stuff. It's not about money and kudos and fast promotions, is it? It's really important, especially for those Gen Z accountants coming in. Uh, we've seen the rise of hybrid working over the pandemic. And it'd be interesting to see um, how that 
um, how the fallout of that as things kind of return to some form of normality, whether it will be back to the office or not. But we have seen the rise of hybrid working. We've seen leaders become more uh, cognizant of um, of just general well-being of their employees. And so we are. it would be very interesting to see just what firms are going to be doing to ensure that all the successes, all of the um, everything that they've done over the past two years isn't pushed to one side and they continue to offer the, that flexibility to continue to offer those well-being days as we're seeing those bigger, larger firms are doing for employees as well. When you talk to firms that are getting this right, they're dealing with it well, they're meeting the demands of their employees and their clients. Are there any examples of initiatives or best practice that they brought in that you thought mm, that will really make a difference? We've seen that with the, the well-being days. I think that's a really good initiative there from... What is a well-being day? Right? I think a well-being day is, is those which is beyond just your normal holiday. It's just a, a day just for you to wrap yourself up in a duvet, I guess, and <laughs> um, relax and, and take a break from work. I think things what firms are doing is, I think, goes back to what I said at the beginning around emails. I think that's a really important one where there's that order not to check your emails just to ensure to put, put a block a literal block on the emails just to make sure that your employees are not dipping in they're not kind of stuck in this web of never-ending work they can actually take a break because they're then refreshed and ready in the morning to deliver the service which you expect of your employees um, other things include um, employee satisfaction surveys, um, empl- employee happiness surveys. We have this for clients. I think an accountant said to me one time that we we do a lot of these surveys for clients. We, we do their client happiness surveys. We do MPS surveys. We check on all sorts of benchmarking and metrics for our clients. But why don't we do the same for our employees? I think that's just as important. So we do get the uh, progressive firms. We do get firms who put the mirror up and then they look at what they're doing. They're looking at what their employees want. They're looking at what's successful, what's not successful, and how can they change the firm in order to ensure that their employees are just generally happy. This is terrific, Richard. It's a really strong word in season that accountants need to heed in these challenging times. I'm going to ask you to finish with a a couple of words of encouragement or advice for the leaders listening in setting the right culture and expectations so that they take mental well-being seriously. Uh, Just before you leave with those, if people want to have a conversation with you, learn more about the great stuff that Accounting Web are putting out, what's a good way for them to get in touch? Um, So you can find out more of Accounting Web from all the news and views from the accountancy world on accountingweb.co.uk. You can follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Just search my name and I'm sure my face will pop up there and I'll be more than happy to connect with you on any of those platforms. In sending people where with a takeaway, a strong message of something they can do, start doing, stop doing to enhance mental well-being and take mental health seriously for themselves and their friends, what would you leave us with, Richard? I think it starts at the top. Those interviews I had with those uh, accountants, the ones who said that they check their emails first thing in the morning, they check them last thing at night. Perhaps break the cycle, break the cycle yourself and see if that filters down to the rest of the team. Set the example. Absolutely. Maybe have the emails as maybe the third thing you check when you start the day. Maybe do something else. Maybe do something for yourself to start the day. There's, uh, we used to have a, an agony uncle on Accounting Web, and his motto was put your face mask on first, using the old expression from uh, airplanes. And I think that's really important. Look, look after yourself first. It's kind of be selfish a little bit. Look after yourself. And then once you feel good, then you'll be able to help others.
it's important for leaders to be a bit vulnerable as well. And if they try and pretend that they're coping with everything, what message does that give to the staff about them being able to open up? Absolutely. Um, I think a, a mutual friend of ours, Lucy Cohen, Rob, has spoken quite openly about this, about being vulnerable and just how that um, and how that's brought into her firm and how that's allowed everyone else to be vulnerable. And I think in this day, that's really important to be open because there's no point getting back to that point of having the stigma around mental health. Richard Hatley, that's been tremendous. What a great topic to address today. Hopefully everyone can be mentally stronger. Thanks so much for your time and your insights. Thanks for inviting me, Rob. the Accounting Influencers Podcast, we help accounting practitioners to do their job better. These are tough times for the business owners that you serve and for you and your firm. We get a big sense of overwhelm, overload, a lot to think about, a lot to do. And we have this very practical session on a Thursday, which tells you what works in your world. And we talk to a lot of accountants, don't we, Martin? And so we take this advice that we're passing on here from real life experience. Yeah, and this is from the sharp end. Uh, from the coal face, from the bunker, call it what you will. And we're looking at client satisfaction surveys today because over the years, it's quiet at the moment, but over the years, there's been an awful lot of advice to accountants saying, have a client satisfaction survey, have a net promoter score. There's a lot of advice to accountants generally, Martin. There's no wonder they're overwhelmed. There's so many experts out there claiming they've got the silver bullet. And very few of them are actual experts as well, but that's another one for another day. <laughs> see how what worked in hiring a consultant and coach recently for that one. But client satisfaction surveys have irked me for many, many years because what happens is, is that you carry out a client satisfaction survey. Typically, you don't send it to every single client. And even if you do, you don't get it back from every single client. So typically, you get it back from those who are most favorably disposed towards you. And when you get it back from those who are most favorably disposed towards you, they say that they're ecstatic with the service, that they would never possibly think of leaving. Everything's brilliant. You're amazing. All is well in Zion. And as a result of that, what's that other than a vanity exercise for the practice? What have you learned from that? So most client satisfaction surveys are vanity exercises. 95% of our clients are ecstatic with our service. But what else were they going to say? Were they going to return a survey that said, I cannot wait to leave this firm. In fact, I'm speaking to another one right now. It's never going to happen. So I don't understand, A, the desire to have client satisfaction surveys, and B, what you learn from doing one. So on that basis, here's what works. And it's called CAD, Client a Day, a very, very simple program, which is, as it sounds, we would ask somebody in your team to call, guess what, a client a day with no script and nothing like the following on screen with simply a warm tone, an engaging manner, and say, hi, Martin, how are you doing? Uh, I'm all right. I'm fine, thanks very much. Sure, to what do I owe the pleasure? Just calling to see how everything is. From time to time, we like to check in with businesses, especially if we don't hear from you through the year normally, just see how the business is doing, see what challenges you're up against, what opportunities or victories you might be celebrating and celebrate them with you. This is purely a check-in, temperature check, seeing how you are. I love that. And it's off the clock, isn't it, Martin? We're not asking for anything. We're not selling anything. We're not charging anything. We're not going to get an invoice for talking to us. We actually care about you. Imagine that. <laughs> we actually want to know how you are. We actually care if things are tough. We actually care if things are good. And this we make time for. And honestly, we care if things are not going well, too, because we want to put them right. Yeah, we'll help you. Absolutely right. 
when you do something as gentle and yet as genuine as that, you tend to find that the client opens up and goes, oh, oh, okay. Get over their initial shock. And then say, well, now you come to mention it and start telling you exactly what's going on, whether it's a positive or a negative or they're treading water and they're going nowhere right now. But no matter where that conversation goes, you've got yourself an opportunity. If they are doing well and they've just had a victory, fantastic. We celebrate it with them. We show them that we care. We even perhaps might go for a client testimonial or case study out of that. If they are treading water, we analyze, we investigate. Why is that? What's going on? How can we support you? And if they're not doing well, we go straight to the, how can we support you? Oh, really? Okay. Is there anything we can do to support you there? So no matter what their answer is, there is an opportunity in real terms for the practice, even though you didn't go out with that intention. So you do well by doing what's right. And this client a day, which will take you a massive 20 minutes a day or someone in your firm, a massive 20 minutes a day, will yield for you the people who are thinking of leaving, the people who think you're too expensive, the people who want to buy more from you, the people who are prepared to give you referrals, the people who are prepared to give you client stories. It's an absolute treasure chest. And guess what? Very few firms do it. We identify the vulnerables, don't we? We're reaching out to the unreachable in a proactive way. That's the first thing I love about it. You're not waiting for them to come to you and say they're either leaving or they want more. You're also uncovering what I call the four Ps, the pain and the problems and the projects and the plans. You find out those, you can speak into all kinds of situations. And one of the questions I love to ask on these client-service conversations, Martin, is to say, what's the biggest thing you're working on right now? And they'll tell you what's current. They'll tell you what the priorities are. They'll tell you what they're excited about or what they're really struggling with, with that question. But you're reaching out to them first. The pastor of our church sometimes says, I'd love some feedback on my sermon. But really what he wants to hear is, I'd love you to tell me that my sermon was terrific. that I did a really great job and tell me how great I am because he doesn't want a critique. He wants a feedback. But in these situations with accounting practitioners, this is stuff they need to know. Yeah, the pastor wants an ego stroke, and that's human nature. You know, how often do you receive, you know, in the days of feedback forms, how often do you receive nine wonderful feedback forms and and have your day ruined by the tenth one that didn't like you, even though nine were positive? If we're particularly switched on, when these conversations develop, and if you've given this project to somebody who knows what they're doing, then they will say, okay, well, would it help for you to have a conversation with our tax partner about that? Would it help for you to have a conversation with Martin? About that? Do you want to talk to Rob about that? Do you want to talk to Diane about that? No charge. No charge. Come and see us if you want. We'll come and see you. It doesn't really matter. You know, shall I put that in the diary now? When are you, when are you free? I have, uh, I've got Diane's availability right now in front of me. I can see it on screen. How's next Wednesday? And straight away, you capitalize on an opportunity to either stop a client from leaving, to resolve a fee dispute, to create a new opportunity, to create a new referral, to create a new piece of marketing collateral. And the cost of this is zilch, apart from whatever you're paying for a phone call. So what a great use of chargeable time just by calling one client a day. If you can do more than that, great. And the rule of thumb is, can you get around your entire client base, at least the A's and B's, can you get around those once every six months? So you're talking to them twice a year outside of the normal year-end reviews or other inquiries, you know, ad hoc conversations that you may have. Twice a year, you're touching base and taking their temperature, the temperature of them and their business. Not just how the business is doing, but what their attitude towards your firm is. And guess what? Those who run clients a day programs like this so have an even less issue or even smaller issue, I should say, with retaining clients than a normal firm does. You retain generally 
they have an even less issue with uh, a lesser issue, sorry, with with retaining, but create tremendous cross-selling and upselling opportunities. That's amazing. And this doesn't have to be a client that you own. Let's say you send this to some of your team to phone up some of your clients, or you even pass it down to some of your reception staff. We had Money Penny on Louise Wilson uh, on the show recently. That episode is going to be coming out very soon. They do front of house overflow conversations for accounting firms for those inbound inquiries when you haven't got enough people on the front desk. But you can pass this down. And when they raise these inquiries with that friendly tone that Martin's talking about and you elicit some kind of response, you don't have to have all the technical answers, but you've got access to people's diaries. And you could say, hey, I'm sure Martin, your advisor, has got a couple of ideas on this. Why don't I fix up a chat with him and he can give you a call about it? And that opens the door. There's an old-fashioned phrase called bedside manner. Yes. It means someone who's really good with people, someone who can put you at your ease, someone who makes you feel comforted and cared for. And that's who should carry out these calls. They don't have to be a tax expert. They don't even have to be an accountant. They do have to know the client. They do have to know the practice. They do have to be intelligent. You don't want to put a junior on this job, but you do want someone who can create a relationship of trust a warmth, uh, a resonance with your client, and then when an opportunity presents itself for whatever that might be, to direct it to the appropriate person. And all of a sudden you have yourself a referral machine, a retention machine, and all kinds of other things by simply calling a client a day. So ultimately what works, Martin, with client satisfaction service is to scrap them all together and change them into CAD, which is, as a reminder, client today the best thing to do with client satisfaction surveys is not do them and that is his what works you're listening to the accounting influencers podcast cutting through the crap to bring you the very best interviews insights and wisdom from the planet's most influential people in the accounting and fintech world with rob brown and martin bissett and a big shout out to one of our newest commercial partners here on the podcast, it's Practice Ignition. Martin, how would you explain what those guys do? Businesses such as accounting and bookkeeping firms use Practice Ignition to one, help them grow, two, be more efficient, and three, create win-win client relationships. There are nearly 5,000 accounting and professional services firms around the world who use Practice Ignition, and they do so to win new business with impressive digital proposals. They engage clients with a clear scope of work, and get paid on time by automating payment collection. PI integrates with the leading business apps such as Gusto, QuickBooks, Xero, Zapier, and it does so to automate time-consuming tasks. That means less admin and more time for clients, Rob. We've got a special offer from our PI partners. Use the code AIR21 to receive 25% off all plans for your first six months. But that's 25% off with the code AIR21. And the link is info.ignitionapp.com forward slash AIP for Accounting Influencers. Practice Ignition, it's time to ignite your practice. Welcome to our special guest interview this week, and I'm thrilled to have with me today a fellow podcaster, Randy Crabtree. Good day, sir. Hey, great to be here. Randy, you have a podcast yourself. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, the podcast is called The Unique CPA, and we've been doing it for about two and a half years now. Wow, doesn't seem that long. <laughs> two and a half years now. I, and we just talk about, I have two requirements when we're talking on The Unique CPA. One, we have fun, which I'm sure you and I will have fun today as well. And, and two, 
we talk about something that educates the CPA, the tax preparer, the accountant in general. So it's educational and it's fun. And that's if, if I get those two things out of it, I usually get educated. I had a good time. What makes a CPA unique? Because people looking in from the outside say one accountant is the same as the next. One accounting firm is the same as the next. All the websites look the same. All the promises sound similar. What's the deal with unique CPAs? Part of it for me is just everybody's different. I mean, you don't, nobody's a cookie cutter of anything. And this is a passion of mine, anyways, talking about, you know, how everybody is, has unique talents, unique abilities, unique passions. And so when we came up with the name, it was like, at first I was like, hey, is that the right name? And the more I thought about it, is yeah, because that's what I talk about. I love talking about how everybody has you know, their own path in life and their own way to get there. And they don't always find it immediately, but everybody's got this uniqueness about them. So it's not, it doesn't even have to be CPA. It could just be the unique person I'm talking to today. And for me, that's it. Now, now if we go into what makes a, a CPA unique, the, every person's individual, what makes a CPA important? We could go deep into that because what you said, it's a, a CPA, tax preparer, whatever. There is a blurred line there a little bit because there are a lot of people thinking now, why would I be a CPA? Why would I go to five years of school, which is the requirement here? Why would I do these other things? Well, let's just talk about that for a moment. Attraction of the accounting profession we know is waning. We know there's a labor shortage. We hear about the great resignation. Being chained to a desk for 10 to 15 years in the hope of making partner in private practice or public accounting, that's not appealing. I'd rather go into tech or make mobile apps and do more exciting things. So to what degree are we selling accountancy as a career, Andy? I think that's the thing a lot of CPA firms are addressing now, especially what you said, the great resignation and just the whole in the US here where they changed the rules. I don't even know how long ago where you had to now go to five years of college to become a CPA rather than just, you know, I'm old. So when it was me, it was only four years and I am a CPA. So when that happened in my mind, it was like, they're going to lose people. And I think that has happened, but it's also the, the whole point was to make it. And honestly, I'm guessing they were trying to get the impression of a CPA up there with more of a lawyer, you know, got this extra school to be a CPA. You have this extra school, which is important. The problem is you only need CPA for one thing really in our industry, and that's doing a, a certified audit. And I'm not a big fan of certified audits anyways. Those were always boring to me, <laughs> but that's the only reason. So to be able to do an audit and be a CPA, that is probably a turnoff for people. And why am I going to want to do that? I can go be a tax preparer. I can do, go be a bookkeeper. And that's a huge profession that's growing right now too. I can do that without the CPA. Well, my fellow host, Martin Bissett, and I did a, an episode just recently on a story we came across where a business owner had hired a zero certified professional that wasn't a qualified accountant at all, wasn't a qualified bookkeeper, didn't have any letters after the name, but they had certification in a particular piece of software. And that's all they wanted to do their books. So it's not just a fight for making the profession attractive. It's a fight for relevance for accounting generally in the eyes of the business owner. Right. No, I agree. And I, I think it's just a matter. And that's why most firms are, are rebranding themselves as advisory firms rather than CPA firms, because they want to be known as, hey, we're not just we're just not the reporter of your taxes. We're not just the reporter of your your accounting. We are the advisor. We are going to help you be a more successful business. And in reality, CPA honestly is not necessary for that. I think it's helpful. I think you learn a lot in that extra year as well. 
but I think it's hurt the industry. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's an area where there's a lot of pros and cons on the whole five-year CPA. Do I need to be a CPA? And, and I'm guessing you're talking about like certified QuickBook advisor or something like that, which. Yeah, exactly. And you call it CPA, other designations apart from certified public accountant are available. We don't have CPAs in the UK, but from your experience, Randy, is an accountant or a CPA the same pretty much all over the world? Yeah, I think from what I've seen, and I'm no expert on that, I, I travel to the UK for fun. I haven't traveled there for business. And, you know, Canada, I, I know a lot of tax uh, professionals in Canada just for, I'm part of a, actually from around the world. I know people in the UK from Canada and in and, and general, everybody seems, you know, the same type of work they're doing and the same knowledge. What in your view makes a good accountant great? What separates the average from the better ones? Well, one of it is just being able to communicate your knowledge or your expertise to the client. I mean, if I look at someone's financial statement, you know, I, I see there's things that they can improve on, they can change on, they can do better. Great. I see that. How well am I communicating and then implementing that to them? So, so I think a, a great accountant is one that is going to affect the company. And I said this before, but affect the company's business rather than report the company's business or the client's business. If I'm a reporter, I really haven't done anything to help them. If I'm an advisor and I'm an effector, if I can, if I can change what they're doing and make them a better business, that's what really makes a good CPA. Uh, what is it called in the UK? Well, we just call them chartered accountants, certified accountants, but, but accountants generally accountants in private practice, accounting practitioners, it's pretty much the same. When you talk about communication skills, we're not necessarily seeing accountants as great communicators, else they may have gone into a different profession. So if we assume that they're technically strong, they're super smart, they know all about tax and double entry bookkeeping and everything else, that's a given to get into the game. Are they having to acquire the communication skills on the job? Or do you now want accountants to be able to do the people side of things before they enlist? I think that's a, I think it can be a learned skill. And I actually think I am an example on that. I was always personable. I could talk to people, but I was considered the growing up. I mean, we can go way back. Growing up, I was considered the shy kid. I got that label, which I hate that label. I hate labels in general, but I was considered the shy kid um, by teachers, probably not by, you know, my friends and all that. You get labeled though, Randy, don't you? You get labeled and, and, and it's, you know, you probably start to believe it at you know, some level. I went to college, I delayed taking speech class to the very last semester because I dreaded getting in front of people and talking. But what I'd learned from that is be prepared, be knowledgeable on what you're talking about. And you could talk about anything, but you also have to be passionate about what you're talking about. So in speech class, I found some things that I was passionate about that I knew really well. And most of my speeches were like interactive. I was showing people how to do things. And so you can learn the communication skills because I did, but maybe more so you can learn to be excited about what you're doing by having talking about things you're passionate about. So I'm big on that too. Follow your passions. If you're passionate about something, you're going to be able to communicate it. It's just that in my mind, I don't see how you would not. If you love what you're doing, you're going to be able to communicate it. I once saw an accountant introduce himself to an audience of business people by saying this. Hi, everyone. My name's Chris. I'm an accountant. I'm a pretty boring guy, but there's one thing I'm really, really excited and passionate about, and that's helping business owners save money paying tax. And it was probably a great presentation, right? Yeah, it, it did well, because as you say, it was passionate. But the, the label of accountants... And the word passion 
don't always go together. It's almost like we're not allowed to be passionate about things and numbers in and of themselves are pretty boring, but there's a lot to be passionate about. I personally work with tax credits and incentives. I personally am helping businesses put money back into their bank accounts. How could you not get excited about that? I mean, especially through the pandemic. I mean, I've been working on pandemic related tax relief for the last you know year and a half, and I'm seeing businesses that were affected greatly, and I'm able to communicate this information to them. I just, before you and I talked, I was on with the New York State Restaurant Association doing a presentation for I don't know, a couple hundred of their members talking about how they can use certain tax incentives to put money back into their business. I love doing that. If you don't dine free at all of the New York restaurants, Randy, then something's wrong. (laughs) So good for you. You're talking here, though, about self-awareness, aren't you? I know you're really big on this in terms of developing one's self, one's career, playing to one's strengths. Talk to us a little bit about that. You might have to stop me if uh, if you think I could talk a little bit about this. It's a I'll probably say passion a thousand times today, so I'll apologize ahead of time. Enthusiasm, <laughs> enthusiasm. I need to look at a thesaurus where we see synonym. Yeah, I need to start doing that. Rob, you're educating me. See, you're educating. That's a passion thing. Well, you're coachable, Randy. <laughs> that's a good sign. And a lot of accountants, when they qualify, they think, right, that's it. Apart from my CPE keeping me up to date technically and, and regulatory compliant. That's all the learning I have to do now. No, you're constantly learning. And there's a lot of accounting firms, I'll just say accounting generically, that put this lifetime learning uh, systems into place right now, just because that's so important. But but let's go to your question then. So the self-awareness, this is a thing that I've learned over the years. And I like to be able to share, again, I like sharing knowledge, you know, whether people like what I have to say or not, you know, great, but I'm going to share what I've learned or what I've experienced over the years. And so the self-awareness thing has become a big deal with me for the over the last, let's say, eight years. And you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but this for me personally started when I had a stroke eight years ago and kind of reevaluate everything you're doing. You look at things. Is this important to me? Do I like this? Can I do this at all without, you know, freaking out about it? And so this was a slow process for me, but for over about a four-year period after that stroke, I was trying to figure out who I was, what my role was in the business. Do I want to continue in the business? You know, is this something I want to be done with? And then I, after a time, I determined that let's look at where your strengths are. And and my strengths have always been starting a business. I've started many businesses besides this business I currently have. I started an accounting firm. I actually started a real estate development firm. I started a window washing company when I was 16. I like growing businesses. And when I did self-evaluation, I didn't realize that I am not a great operator of the business. I am not an implementer. I am not the person that is going to do the day-to-day. That's so boring to me, but the day-to-day ins and outs of the business. I have more of a big picture, but then in this whole self-relation, then I also decide, look at myself personally. What do I like to do? Even though I was considered the shy kid, you probably could tell I like to talk. I like to get out. I like to educate. I get passionate about what we were just talking about, or I get enthusiastic about what we were just talking about with these tax incentives, helping restaurants, helping whatever businesses. And so let's look at ourselves and let's define what role I want to be in. And let's just 
work around that. And so the role I do today after this four-year process of doing a self-evaluation, and I fought some of this. This wasn't a light bulb went off and, hey, you know, I'm going to do this. I fought some of this change, but looking back, it was right. After doing this whole self-evaluation, what is my strengths? What are my passions? What do I like to do? What am I bad at? And I looked at all that. And what my strengths were was communicating. I can take a pretty complex tax uh, uh, issue and I make, can make it easy to understand whether I'm talking to CPAs, which I do often, or I'm talking to a business owner. And so I can do that. And I have a, that's just a, a skill I have. So I, I want to do that. That out of that came the podcast. That's education as well. Education is a passion. So we're educating CPAs. And I said this at the beginning. We want to have fun and we want to teach the accountant, the tax preparer, the CPA, the EA, what the chartered accountant. We want to teach them uh, something while we're talking. I started writing articles for for uh, you know accounting magazines, accounting today, AICPA tax advisor, CPA trend lines. We started writing articles. And so when I did the self-evaluation, I realized these are the things I'm good at. And then I would concentrate on that. I told you I'd ramble. You eased into your gift though, and you started to expand that. So for accountants listening to discover their passions, you're talking about some kind of journey of self-awareness, some kind of evaluation, maybe psychometric testing, because often we're too close to what we do and we don't know what we're good at. I did one of those tests where it says what your strengths are, but I did that two weeks ago. So that was eight years after I started this process, but it did come in basically where I thought it would which was the education part of things, the communication part of things, and helping the people I work with. I love watching people progress in their roles in the business and advance in their roles. And I tell people, I'm there for you anytime you have questions. I want to help with that as well. And again, not everybody can do the same thing. I started this business. We've grown significantly. I'm very fortunate that I can pick and choose what I want to do at this point. But really, everybody has that opportunity. You just have to fill in your weaknesses with people who have strengths. Because when I started this whole self-evaluation, part of it was just forced on me because of the stroke and I had to think differently, although I'm very fortunate I'm fully recovered. But I was managing partner of the firm at that time. I thought that was my identity. My identity is managing partner. And if I'm not managing partner, who am I? I'm nothing. You know, I mean, this is what would go through my head. But now looking back, Andy Lane, who took over that role from me, and he and I started this business together. He is so much better at that role than I was. And we should have done this years ago. And so I was very slow at this self-evaluation. And that's why I kind of get passionate about now, because don't delay it. Look at it. Do what you can. But he is so much better at and now I'm going to sound like I have a huge ego, but I am so good at what I'm doing now that we are both in the correct roles. And in the last four years since we've done this, our business is up 800%. And that's not solely because of me. That's not solely because of him. That is because his passion is this running, implementing, putting tools and, and processes in place for the business itself. That's his passion. He found his. He knew it sooner than I did, really. And mine is the role I'm in now. And if everybody can find that niche or find that passion within the business, you can't stop yourself. What makes an accountant promotable, Randy? Promoting within the business. Yeah, acceleration up the career ladder, if you like. In public accounting in general, I think I think all that has to be redefined because people have different skill sets. And if you're not ta- if you're not bringing in business, you're not going to be a partner. Well, you could have the best technician in the world working on taxes. Maybe they're not out at every single you know chamber of commerce event generating business. 
That doesn't mean they're not important to the business. That doesn't mean they're not at partner level. Everybody has his own role. And so I think it's just that the skills that you have and are you at the top of your game with those skills, whether it's communication skills, whether it's tax and accounting skills, um, whatever the skill is you have, if you're good at that and you're using it in the business the right way, you're promotable. I don't, I don't care if you brought in a million dollars of business last year. So if we got that wrong then in putting the rainmakers, if you like, into partner roles. I do think that's wrong. I do because the, the, every role is important. Without each individual role, the business is not going to go. Some people don't want to be partners. That's fine. But our business, and ours is different, we're in tax, but we support tax preparers. You know, most of our people are just project managers out in the field that are working on projects that then we get the information of the tax preparer. That's most of our people that are generating they're generating the billable hours. But our business development portion is a third of our business. A third of our employees are in business development at some way, the marketing department, the inside sales, the business development team, the support team for that. And just because those people are bringing in, you know, the sales, the revenue, they're the ones that should make partner. No, I mean, our project managers, if we have a project manager that's, you know, doing 20 projects a, a month, and then there's someone else doing 10, well, the 20 projects a month person is probably more valuable even than at, you know, our, you know, one of our middle salespeople. And so, you have to you have to figure out ways to value those roles differently than just the rainmaker role. And if an accountant is listening to this and right, what are my strengths? Are they looking at things they love doing or things they are really good at or a combination of those or even something different? I love looking at the standpoint of what are you good at and what are you passionate about and can you meld those together? Let's say you're an accountant in inside of an accounting firm right now, and you're whatever you're you're sitting in the tax department or the audit department or accounting whatever department you're in, and you know your outside of work passions are going to you know fine dining restaurants. Well, your firm doesn't have a restaurant niche that you work on. Well, if your passion is going to fine dining restaurants and you like to learn about everything you do and you like to look at their recipes and all that, why don't you try to be that expert for restaurants? And I keep bringing up restaurants. I guess that's a key in my head these days. Uh, why don't you try to be develop this, this program within your firm where you are now an expert to restaurants? You have this passion. You have the tax knowledge or the accounting knowledge. Now let's try to meld those two together. So, so if you could do that, I mean, if you can use your outside passions and somehow bring that into work, I mean, you hit a home run. You hit a grand slam. That's a strength, isn't it? It's something that you find easy or enjoyable that other people find difficult or boring. And I like the idea of bringing in external passions. We'll, we'll have accountants listening that like to play golf or go to the gym or a family people or get a handle on family businesses or grew up in that environment. There's all kinds of ways. We're talking about niching or niching here, aren't we? Niching your expertise. Uh, I say niche, you say niche. I'll try to say niche in this, but yes, I, <laughs> I'm a niche practice. We're a specialty tax practice. I used to be a general practitioner. I, you know, I was before I, I, I started this firm, I was, you know, I was not an expert in anything, but I knew every, I knew every part of the tax code existed for the most part, but I wasn't an expert at building that niche, whether it's especially tax like I did, or being the restaurant expert like that scenario. I mean, I think that I think that's extremely important as 
the profession continues to evolve because we're in a really big evolution of the industry right now. I mean, you have these specialty bookkeeping firms, you have these specialty payroll firms, you have these specialty, you know, uh, financial advisor firms. You may have all those within your business, um, but they're all niches within there. And the stronger you are as a firm at certain niches, the better I think you're going to be able to succeed going forward. Andy, we'll pump people to the unique CPA podcast and you have the links and bio in the show notes. I'd love to leave with two questions for our audience. One first is for the accountants. Listen, they're in the rank and file. They're somewhere in the hierarchy, but they're not at board level. They're not at partner level. They're not in a leadership role, maybe in a management role. What advice would you give to them to accelerate the career, make themselves more noticeable, more promotable, more differentiated, perhaps a little bit more self-aware, but give them more career options. What would you say to them? Yeah, it, it's kind of what we've been saying all along. Look at look at what you like doing and don't be quiet about it. Bring it to your, your supervisor. Hey, I want to start doing this. What do you think? A good supervisor, a good manager is going to be open to anything that you bring to them. I think if you're bringing ideas, and not just not just the kid in the classroom who, who raises their hand for every question. It, it not that it is. I have specific ideas that I think are going to be important for our, our firm, our business going forward. I think we can really do well with this. I enjoy this. I want to see if we can you know develop this into a, a niche within our firm. And you're big on sharing your knowledge, aren't you? If you're interested in something, don't keep quiet about it. Oh, no, I, I, that's what I do all the time is, you know, I, I, I'm doing specialty tax webinars. You know, I, I've done three this month already, and I probably average, you know, one a week. But you've got it. You've got a big mouth, Randy. You've got a big mouth. You've got a message. You've got a platform. But that needs to be earned, doesn't it? If you're going to share your knowledge, you need to find ways to get it out there. Yeah, you know what? If you can communicate, if you have passion, if you have the knowledge, they will come. You know, I'd be at conferences speaking, and I'd be at events speaking, I'd be inside of accounting firms speaking. After the pandemic, it went virtual, and I was a little concerned about that. How am I going to be able to get in front of people without having this? And so our first webinar we did, and I don't know, we probably had 20 people sign up, but you know what? A lot of these people have probably hadn't heard of me and my message before. You know, we have one this week. There's 127 signed up for this one already. You know, we've had some of them where there's been, you know, three, four, 500 signed up for. It's just keep doing it. Keep sharing. If you really have this knowledge, they'll come to you and they'll understand that it's important. What about the leaders? They want to nurture the people. They want to develop the skills of the people, realize the potential of their people. What advice would you give to them? Just be open. Do not micromanage. Give your people freedom to come up with ideas, freedom to do their own thing, and freedom just to work. If they want to work at 3 a.m. and 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 be available at noon to you know for hanging out with their kids, let them do it. I mean, if people get their job done and they can do it any time of the day, do it. So just be open to anything. And that's extremely important with what you mentioned before, the great recognition and people maybe not going out of the accounting industry. You need to be open and you need to make a fun atmosphere, but be open to ideas. Randy Crabtree, that's been great. Thanks so much for your passion and your insights today. Thank you, Rob. This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissick. You've been listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. I've been Rob Brown and along with Martin Bissett, we are thrilled to bring this daily radio style show to you. We try and keep it punchy. We give you the news and its application to your life. We give you interviews with experts, gurus, leaders, thought leaders, 
people on the cutting edge doing it and give you their perspective on what's really working. And we give you practical insights from the trenches, if you like, for what accounting practitioners, CPAs, bookkeepers, accounting advisors are doing all over the world to serve their clients better, upgrade their skills, and generally give themselves the best possible chance with a career that works on their terms, if you like. It's great to have you with us, you 25,000 listeners in 150 countries. We're growing by hundreds each week. Remember, this Monday show is CPE accredited by Earmark CPE, so you can get your continued professional development education points, and you can tune into our Saturday bonus episode where we're dealing with The Price is Right, how to solve your pricing conundrums as an accountant once and for all. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the rest of your week. This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett.